Any information in this podcast is not intended to promote or recommend any particular product or services offered by Bell's family and associates. It does not take into account the objectives, financial situation, or needs of any investor. Before making an investment decision, investors should seek professional advice. Good afternoon from Sydney, and uh, you're still in Shanghai, I think, uh, Lucy. Great to uh, Great to chat with you. I start off today with a very simple question, which is, why does a 90-year-old man fly to Tokyo? The 90-year-old man in this case is Warren Buffett. Last week, he flew to from Omaha to Tokyo to do $1.2 billion US of bond deals to finance an additional purchase in Japanese trading houses. So he's gone from, he bought a 5% stake in the middle of 2020, it's now 7.5%. So he loves these businesses. These businesses, by the way, if you check the charts, Mitsubishi, Mitsui, Toshu, they've gone straight up. They've been great investments. I wish I'd thought of that. But why buy more now? Look at the chart. You think, well, maybe you'd be selling. No, no, no. Why is he buying them? We need to consider as we try to answer that question, it's really the topic for today, what's going on in Japan that would cause him to think that buying a bunch of yen-based assets would be interesting. And most importantly, we've got a new central bank governor, Ueda, Mm -hmm. and lots of signals all over the press and lots of people talking about it, that maybe it's the end of yield curve control in Japan. And I want to talk today about potentially what that means. It means, in my view, a couple of things. It means that the yen may strengthen significantly and the US dollar will suffer when the yen strengthens. And that the repatriation of Japanese capital back to Japan due to higher interest rates could drive more growth in Japan, but it could also drive, importantly, a bit of a liquidity crisis globally as that carry trade capital retreats from markets. So that's what I want to talk about today, Lucy. Excellent. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to tomorrow's news. This week, in addition to Japan, we'll be talking a little bit about the U.S. CPI results, U.S. equity markets, and as Gavin said, moving away from China, which was our topic of conversation last week, to have a look at what's going on in Japan, as Mr. Buffett has signaled to us this week. Where shall we kick off, Gavin? Well, well, let's talk about CPI. And we're recording this on Friday afternoon, before retail sales come out in the U.S. tomorrow, so that everything could change a little bit. But CPI this week showed, and I'm summarizing here, and people can pick it apart. It showed continued deceleration, although yeah. slower deceleration in CPI. So certainly, the rate of increase is slowing. Jerome Powell's preferred measure is something people call super core inflation, which takes out shelter, so call that rent and focuses on services, which are the big part of the economy. And that's now around 4%. So even if inflation is slowing too slowly towards 2%, inflation is certainly slowing from where it was. Mm -hmm. And it's certainly falling in an environment where Fed funds are now four and three quarter percent. So the economy may be a little stronger. In fact, there's a lot of memes going around this week because the economist has on its front cover, the sort of cover that's one of those, you know, again, it's one of those sort of totems. It's like the amazing strength of the U.S. economy, right? Yeah. And so the economy is stronger than anyone has anticipated. Employment is stronger in many areas. 
And so the market is saying, wow, this is really interesting. We've got inflation falling, but we've also got this environment where it's pretty clear that the economy is slowing, maybe slowing more slowly, but slowing. In fact, the Fed itself says they anticipate a recession in the back part of this year. And so the market has priced three cuts in interest rates into this year, taking Fed funds from four and three quarter percent down to four percent by the end of the year. Okay, mm-hmm. so that's what's in the market today. So stocks, of course, you'd say, well, hang on a second. If we're in a recession going into one, shouldn't stocks be lower? Well, stocks have been saying, well, recession is coming, interest rates are coming down, and the Fed has our back here, right? We're going to get more easy money, better for stocks in general. And so it's a new bull market. Buy the bull, new bull market before it's too late. And that's sort of been the thesis. In fact, you've seen a rotation you know, I talked a little bit about something called the new 60-40, which is 60% T-bills and 40% mega cap tech. You've sort of seen a rotation a little bit, although you saw a rebound today in some of the uh, mega cap tech stocks, in, to industrials and that sort of thing. So generally, markets have been pretty robust. So I'm going to come back to that in a moment. Yeah. And I did read that U.S. Treasuries fell 16 basis points. How does that fit in the broader you know, macro landscape? It's quite interesting watching yields in the bond market at the moment because bond guys and gals are saying the bond market isn't telling you that it's all going to be easy here. In mm-hmm. fact, you're absolutely right. I mean, the US 10 year now has come off its lows. Its lows are a little around about 330 or so. And, you know, we're now at 340. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, What's happening is people, you know, I would argue right now, people have been selling bonds and buying equities, right? And it's probably overly yeah. simplified. But the real question is, if we were really heading into recession, then people should really be buying bonds because, frankly, aren't yields going lower? Well, you know, it turns out, I think, that more than anything in the near term, the bond market is pretty, you know, the jury's still out. On this item. Now, what you can observe is that the high yield market has responded a little bit, but yields are still relatively wide. It's really equities that have been super resilient. Mm. It's really equities that have been super resilient. And that's very, very interesting. Very interesting to people. Lots of smart people have been short the market and been getting destroyed. People have been going from bearish to bullish because, of course, the longer the market stays up, the more people get dragged off the sidelines. So it's going to be interesting to see how it goes. And we'll talk about that in a moment. Yeah. Yeah. Well, before we talk about that, why don't we turn our minds back to Japan and the yen and, Yeah. yeah, chat about what's interesting, what's interesting there. So, again, I'm not going to stand here or sit here say I'm an expert on the Japanese economy or Japan or Yoko control. But let me just explain a little bit about what's been going on yes. and then why it might matter, right? So a lot of economists for a very long time have been arguing that Japan needs to normalize interest rates to accommodate for higher inflation. And that, frankly, yield curve control hasn't promoted a lot of inflation and growth. Mm-hmm. So it hasn't really worked. You should abandon it anyway. 
when are you going to abandon it? Now, now there's been obviously they moved the cap on the 20, the 10 year from 25 basis points to 50 basis points, but they haven't normalized interest rates. And so they haven't done that for a lot of reasons. I think they're quite afraid of what happens when they do that. But at the end of the day, I think everybody agrees that normalization has to come at some point. Mm-hmm. Okay. And betting that normalization has to come has been a trade everyone calls the widow maker in mm-hmm. Japan. It's generally been wrong. You've generally, they've just stuck with this policy. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you gotta you gotta recognize that. Now, normalizing interest rates is going to have a really interesting effect, right? Because what has happened is that Japanese investors, like anybody else, have said, well, boy, there aren't very high returns available and yields available here in Japan. Mm-hmm. There are in the rest of the world. We're going to take our capital and we are going to invest our capital in the rest of the world where there are higher returns. Yeah. What do they do? They buy Australian bonds. They buy U.S. bonds. They basically invest everywhere in the world seeking mm-hmm. yield. And banks have been big investors in, in CDOs in the U.S., in all kinds of places. And so they've been important to capital flows everywhere. Mm-hmm. The other piece of that puzzle is, of course, they, they haven't been investing that capital domestically. Mm-hmm. And then what global investors have been doing on the other side is they've been borrowing a lot of capital in Japan at very low interest rates mm. and using that to fund their investments in the rest of the world. Yes. So that's been really great for global liquidity. Yeah. But like most carry trades, they generally tend to end badly because they end somewhat sooner than everyone would like, and there's always someone who gets hurt. But but because of that structure, and a couple of things are, are important to recognize. One of them is that if the Japanese government were to very quickly change policy, mm-hmm. you'd have everybody kind of rushing for the exits, including Japanese banks, and you could have a lot of disruption. So a lot of disruption, not only in Japan, but in other G7 nations. Now, no central bank has as a central tenant. I'm just going to mess with the system, right? Mm. Generally, most of them are in the interest of stability, Japan included. So they want to give lots of signaling that this is going to occur. Mm. And markets, as you know, are very good at responding to signals, right? Particularly when there's signals from people like central banks who they are in the business of sort of getting ahead of so that they can make money, right? I mean, we want to be there before they're there, and that's our return. So the real, really interesting thing is, when do we get that real signal, Ueda, the new Bank of Japan governor, that he's going to get on this path to normalizing policy, right? Not like he's going to normalize it overnight, but when is he going to get on this path? Because once he gets on this path, you've got a long trend. So people thought, ah, when he's appointed, he said, we're going to sort of stick with it. They the last meeting, oh, no, going to stick with it. Well, I guess what I argue is Warren Buffett just went and raised a bunch of money. He's way better informed than just about anybody in the world. Yes. He met with Ueda. I think he's of the view it may not happen in the next week or the next month or the next three months, but it's going to happen. Mm. And when it starts to happen, it won't stop for a very long time. That is, that capital repatriation mm-hmm. to Japan will occur over an extended period. Okay. So 
if that's what we're up to, if that's going to occur, what do you want to do? Well, first of all, you want to borrow at those low interest rates. You want to hedge your currency. Why do you want to hedge your currency? Well, because when the bond yields and the, the yields in Japan start rising, the yen will likely increase relative to the U.S. dollar. Yes. Okay. So the easiest trade here for folks that think, gee, Gavin, you're really on to something. And I would caution you that this is a trade that everybody has gotten wrong so many, many times, is to buy yen, buy U.S. dollar yen. Yen will appreciate. Okay, It has lots of potential to appreciate. So that's the obvious thing. And then the other thing, of course, is as all of that capital returns to Japan, these trading companies will benefit. Maybe even banks will benefit. Warren Buffett may buy other things. I have no idea. But the other thing that's going to happen is as the yen, which is a really big weight in the basket of currencies that make up the US dollar index, as the yen appreciates and as Japanese yields increase, capital, global capital will flow into the yen and global capital will flow into Japan and the dollar, the US dollar will decline. What mm -hmm. tends to happen when the US dollar declines, things like gold and Bitcoin and you know commodities tend to go up in value, right? Mm -hmm. They get cheaper because they're priced in US dollars. So the very simple trade is, if you think I'm right, and of course, you know, I'm taking a few data points and linking them together here. If you think I'm right, is now is not a terrible time to own some some yen. Right? Mm. Simple thesis. Yeah, and going kind of back to what we were we started talking about, which is equities. Where are you looking, or how does that relate to? this broader pace of global liquidity and their financial conditions. Right. So why do I think the yen is important? Why do I think the financial conditions, why do I think it's all important? Okay. Why I think it's important is this, is that the market in general has come to the view that the Fed will cut rates soon. It is quite possible that the market changes its view, the next Fed meeting is May 2nd, that the Fed may not cut rate as soon as predicted. In fact, I would argue that the narrative that the Fed is about to ride in and rescue the market mm. quickly and become accommodative is probably overdone. And unless we are in the midst of a really significant decline in economic conditions, we're probably in for a surprise that the Fed stays at a higher interest rate, a uh, higher Fed funds rate for quite a little bit longer than the, than the market expects. So that's the first thing. So right now, the market's pricing the sort of perfect decline to recession, and then the Fed comes and rescues us all, and that's, that may be a bit optimistic. Secondly, while we know that banks have been pulling back lending, that is, the lending standards have been going up for some time and so forth, this has been going on for a long time. So in fact, it's not as if it all started to happen in March. It's been happening for a while. Now, the question is, well, is it happening in a more pronounced way now so that it impacts the economy more? Maybe. That's quite possible. But at the end of the day, banks have been tightening for a while, and we frankly haven't seen the U.S. economy slowing quite enough. The Fed may say, hey, we just want to stick at this game a little longer. Okay. Yeah. And then the other thing is the market sort of takes this view and you often see a lot of this chat, that like the Fed is supposed to be like this super forecaster of future economic conditions. Mm -hmm. and, and I think if you, 
I've never done this, but you know, be interesting to do it. But I think if you listen to Pal, you'll hear tones. It's like they don't believe they're super forecasters, right? You know, to use the golf analogy, right? They just play the ball where it lies, right? They try to look based on experience and data and whatever at the future, but they play the ball where it lies, which is they're not trying to over-engineer the future. They'd mm-hmm. like to think they can get to a soft landing. I think now their their recent view is they probably can't, but that's fine. They're just going to play the game as it's presented to them. There's a bank crisis or a global financial crisis. They'll deal with that. They believe they have the tools. They're not going to think four steps down the line to say, ah, we should do this because then that will happen, right? And in fact, it would be crazy if they did so. Okay. Then lastly, in the next few months of you on Japan, mm. kind of, it's all about what tips the scale, right? So I look at the chart on the Japanese yen and I look at Warren Buffett and I think, I'll tell you, a little bit of liquidity withdrawal, a little bit of change and a little bit of a changing tone on this might be more likely than unlikely. And the drawdowns can be pretty significant. So I sit here today, S&P closed around 41, what are we closed today? 41, 46. You know, it's not impossible that we rally from here. There's a lot of bears around. It's always dangerous to be short and negative when there's so much bearishness. But I would also pay attention to something that the folks at Nautilus pointed out to me, which is... There's this view that when the CPI and the Fed policy drops to zero, that is, when basically you get to this point that interest rates are probably a little too high and CPI is coming down, that now is a good time for stocks. Historically, it's been a terrible time for stocks. And it's not a terrible time for stocks looking out over the long term. What it is, is it's a terrible time for stocks in terms of drawdowns. It is quite likely that you will see a drawdown between 2%, which you wouldn't even notice, and 10% or more before we get a positive return. Okay. So what I would say to you is you can ignore this entire podcast. And I think in a year, you're going to be okay from here, right? In terms of the S&P, certainly. But you can listen to this podcast and say, hmm, I probably want to be on the lookout now for a drawdown that takes me into the mid 3000s or so on the S&P as a time to start buying. Because I think the longer term profile is better. And if you're super long and leveraged and super excited, now is a time to be taking some of your chips off the table and giving yourself a chance to buy that drawdown. Thank you so much, Gavin, for your thoughts and insights today. We look forward to reading about the retail results tomorrow, which I'm sure you'll share in our WhatsApp group. Have a good week. It's been tomorrow's news. We'll see you next week. 